you can know without a shadow of a doubt. You can know whether you know you know you're going to heaven. And how can you know? By accepting Jesus as your personal Savior. This is In Good Faith, listening to first-person experiences of faith and belief. On In Good Faith, it's our privilege to hear stories and accounts from believers told in their own words. Our hope is to listen with an open heart, celebrating the power of faith and belief and what those stories mean to the ones who tell them. Today I'm coming to you from Kirtland, Ohio, speaking with Walt Raber from Sarasota, Florida, originally from Hartville, Ohio, a big Amish settlement. At the time of his youth, he's been a professional truck driver for 45 years, retired recently after 5 million miles, driving tour buses now, married 46 years, three children, seven grandkids. Walt, thank you for speaking with me in good faith. You're welcome. The first thing probably anyone asks when you mentioned that you were raised in an Amish family, at the beginning of your life, what do they ask? What do they want to know? They probably want to know mostly what it was like to grow up Amish and not having the things that other people have. Tell me about that. Uh, we didn't have electricity and no telephone, and it was pretty pretty good as long as the whole community was like that. But if you get away from the community not being like that, then it's harder to do. So I wonder, what are some of your earliest memories of worship services and the religious life of the community you grew up in? Oh, going to the church service and uh, mainly was to sit still and be reverent in church. And whenever we wouldn't behave, we sat up towards the front. Dad would come up and pull our ears and make him go back with him. <laughs> so where were these meetings held? Uh, at houses, in the homes, and sometimes they were in the barns of the Amish people. And I wonder if there are times that you can remember that helped you decide if you personally believed in God or not. Yeah, it was, it was hard. The language, they spoke German, and it was hard to understand. But uh, I guess through the role model of mom and dad, it, uh, it made me decide that I wanted to follow Jesus. Once you had decided that, was it scripture reading or prayer or what kinds of things made your own personal religious practice? I guess prayer and uh, listen to dad read the Bible every night and uh, just uh, talk about the faith uh, we should have and uh, how to be modest and uh, just uh, be reverent to the religion and stuff. And modesty, that's a big deal, isn't it? Yes, it is. Amongst the Amish, it's a very big deal. That and uh, living simple, simple lives and uh, not having the modern things of the world. They really uh, stressed on that, that, that they want to be different from the world. And that's why, that's what makes the Amish so different from the other world people. And tell me about hymns or music. What do you remember? Well, at church, every Sunday morning, they sang this certain song. It was called... It's a love song, but in German, it's called the Lope Song. And it, as they sang it every morning, and it was a long, drawn-out song. And a lot of times we didn't know all the words, but we knew this, the tune of it, so we would sing along best we could, and that really made an impression on me. And then later, tell me about your spiritual path as you progressed on in life. I didn't really uh, do much spiritual until I met my wife, then my girlfriend, she was a strong person, and uh, we started going to church regular, and uh, we actually left the Amish, and I had a car, and her dad did not like me at all. He says, 
she can't be going away with me in a car. Well, she says that I have a big job on my hand to win her dad over. I says, I'll win him. About six months later, he was riding with me in the car. (laughs) So what was the secret to winning over dad? Uh, Showed him that I'm not a bad person and that I love Jesus just like he does. And uh, I think it showed him that you don't have to be Amish to uh, follow Jesus. How did you meet in the first place? Well, the Amish, when they get married, they have uh, uh, the noon meal is for the married couples, and then the evening meal is for the young folks. And uh, what you do is you ask a girl to go to the table to eat with you. So I asked my wife, Mary Louise, if she would go to the table with me, and she said she would. And the rest was history. (laughs) And so that's how the Amish do when they have dinner. A lot of times the Amish, that's how they meet, is uh, they go to the table with a certain girl. A guy goes and asks her if if he will go, and that's what happened here. So where did that path take you? It took me to, I actually became a Mennonite now, as uh, we have cars, and and then we got baptized and got married, and... uh, we have uh, three children and seven grandchildren, wonderful grandchildren. And it kind of, I had to grow up fast because I was pretty young when I got married. I was uh, 19 and she was 18. And uh, it's just, it was a tough path, but we love the Lord and we, she's my best friend today. I love to hear that. <laughs> Tell me a, a little bit about the difference between the worship life of the Amish and Mennonites. The Amish don't sing praise and worship before the church service. They, they have certain song they sing which with no music. It's all uh, a cappella. And the Mennonite, we have a uh, nice uh, worship and praise band. And before the church service, we have praise and worship for oh, half an hour sometimes before their preaching starts. This is personal. You can decide how you feel about answering it. Are there things that have happened in your life that you would say, these were answered to prayers or... This is what made me think, I think God is really there. Um, Yeah, we probably, the most would be our firstborn is handicapped. He's totally handicapped. He's uh, dependent on us. He doesn't eat by himself, doesn't walk by himself, doesn't talk. And I realized that, you know, he is a gift from God. And he is one person that is going to meet up with Jesus because he's, He's not going to be accountable for what he does because he doesn't know enough that. And just that kind of made me think, I want to be up there with him in heaven someday. And so it just made me follow the Lord a little closer. And then we had a motorcycle accident, and my wife and I were both uh, life-lighted. And uh, it could have very easily been the end, but God wasn't done with us yet. And so we decided, you know, we got to get our priorities straight, and that helped. It is kind of a full-time job caring for someone with needs, like your son that you mentioned. And some people say, this is too much for me. Where did you folks find that strength to continue? Well, I guess it's just something that we didn't even second-guess it. We just knew that it was our job. And we kept him at home until he was 25, and it was just uh, more than she could handle. He's in a... uh, Christian home now, very beautiful place, and he loves it there, and we can take him home anytime we want, and uh, I would have liked to kept him at home all the time, but it was just, it's a lot of work, and it's hard work, and my wife, bless her soul, she did such an awesome job with him, and she's a wonderful person. 
What are the things that bring you joy in your life? I love to go to a Sunday service and praise and worship songs, and uh, I love to serve and uh, serve other people and love other people. And if you don't love people, you don't have nothing. Love is the gift from God, and it's wonderful. Any favorite songs you love best? Uh, I like uh, Big Daddy Weave's song that says, I've been redeemed. So that's, that yeah, it's a wonderful song. Because you've lived in that simpler world, we call it simpler, but it doesn't mean easier, does it? No, it definitely isn't easier. I used to uh, have to get up in the morning early and go out and help milk the cows. And then after we was done doing that, we would go in and... Uh, Back then, we wouldn't even shower. We'd just change clothes, coming from the barn, change clothes, and go to school, and walked a mile to school. And uh, it taught us how to work. But <laughs> that now you look back, you think, ah, oh, you went to school without taking a shower? <laughs> One of the goals, I think, both for the Amish and for the Mennonites, is to be separate, to be different than the world. But how do you balance being separate but also being involved with other people? Of different beliefs? Um, well, there's, uh, well, I know, don't know how to answer that no, for sure, but um, if you make simple life, if you're involved with other people, like the, the Amish have a lot of non-Mennonite people that haul them around with a van, or, and they go places, but in order to keep it simple, if the whole community it does that, it makes it a lot easier. doesn't make it less work. But it still is a lot easier because the whole community does it, and you all work together. Is it easier living that kind of life to keep your heart focused on God? Or is that just up to anybody, no matter what kind of setting or lifestyle they're living? I don't think either of it is easy. Jesus didn't tell us that our life was going to be easy if we accepted. He told us he will make it easier for us if you know if possible. And I think that's what they strive on is that it's a simple life and they want to separate themselves and they can't have, they can't be proud. You know, they got to be uh, simple. That's one of the reasons for simplicity is to avoid pride. Yes, they can't be proud. They, uh, the Amish don't like their pictures taken because if you take their picture, it makes them look like they're proud and they will not pose for a picture. Are there times when you, you feel closest to God? Um. For me, myself, I feel closest to God when I'm serving other people and helping people like in uh, disasters and going on a mission trip. Like I went to Haiti a couple of times and I felt close to God because I was helping people that are less fortunate than I am. To see people in those circumstances and they're children of God, just like you. I guess that's, that's why you went, because you wanted to help. Right, yeah. Uh, breaks my heart to know that they... Uh, they're struggling to get food to eat, and they live in shacks, so to say. It just breaks my heart that I can't just get them all out of there and help them all. But uh, we can't do that, so we just help one save the world one person at a time. I've noticed because I've been on a bus you're driving on a tour, which is how we met, that you seem... Especially, all the people on the bus think you're a bright spot in their day. Is that a conscious decision you make? Well, I'm a very happy person, and I love the Lord, and I love life. I just, and that's, I guess, why I love what I do, because I am a people person, and I love to make people smile, and I love when people are happy. It just makes me happy to see other people happy. You go to church 
and you get to sing praises, and then to carry that into the everyday. Is that is that the work of being a Christian? Absolutely. Uh, you, the people know your. Uh, I mean, they know how strong you are with God by your actions. If you don't have actions that are godly, then you're not a very godly person. And so you got to show that you are, you know, a Christian. I'm imagining because you've been to just about every state in the Union in your five million miles of uh, both of truck driving, but now of driving buses that you meet lots of people, lots of different walks of life. Do you find some commonality in everybody all those different groups? I do. There is good there is good in every person out there. It's just you gotta find it. Next week I take a load of Amish up to the Finger Lakes. And they're a fun group of people. They like having fun and the group I'm with now, with you and your group, it was has been awesome. You have a bunch of good, happy people and I love it. That's what I like about my job is every time I take a trip, it's something different. Have you ever had moments when you think back earlier and think, how different would, it, would my life have been if I'd stayed in the Amish community? I have, and I, uh, I just can't imagine doing that, but uh, it would be different. They don't have electricity, and uh, you have to hire somebody to take you somewhere if you want to go. And I guess I wasn't in it long enough as I grew up till about uh, 15 is when I left. And uh, so to really get to where I was older to do that, I guess I never had to experience that that much. I always had electricity after 15 and, you know, telephone. I remember when we first got our telephone, my mother said that she will never talk on the phone. She doesn't want a phone. It's wrong. She got used to it. We couldn't keep her off of it. <laughs> she talked on it all the time, but that's... Uh, that's the way it goes. <laughs> Anything else you'd like to say that I don't know to ask? Things you've learned or things that you feel bring you closer to God or show you that he's working in your life? Yes, just by the things that happen. Uh, we grow stronger with God. And uh, right now, we're God blesses us because we help, we're helping our grandchildren right now. And uh, I believe that by tithing and uh, helping the grandkids, God blesses us with the money to help the grandkids, to help them along. And uh, that blesses my heart that uh, God allows that to happen. I'm wondering if you think of faith and belief as something mysterious or as something very practical. I think it's very practical. I think uh, uh, Jesus died on the cross and he rose in three days and uh, he died for our sins and that therefore we can be washed from our sins, and uh, walk with Jesus. If you were going to have a devotional moment or pick a, a Bible story to read, do you have a couple of favorites? They're all favorites. I just came back from Israel, and I, I think the main thing that stuck with me there was when we was up on the Masada. That just, that just broke my heart. All the people that died committed suicide because the Romans were coming up to get them. I just... That just breaks my heart. And that, that story I just really like. But there's so many of them. I like them all. <laughs> Tell me about your experience you mentioned to me about going out on the Sea of Galilee. Oh, that was wonderful. We went out on the boat, and uh, just like we, we imagined when uh, Jesus was on the boat, and the storm came up, and he calmed it, you know. And just I just uh, 
It's almost like I was there when it happened. It was so real. It was awesome. Mm. Be a happy person. Don't let life get you down. Always smile. Even if you're having a bad day, smile. And you'll make other people smile that are having bad days. And keep following Jesus. Amen. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. You seem to me very comfortable about speaking about God in public. Were you always that way? Probably not. It's just uh, as we grew uh, in the Lord, probably we were youth leaders at church, and uh, that probably broke the ice where I had to uh, speak out and uh, more publicly and try to keep the youth in the straight and narrow. So that made me more able to speak in public. Are there times when you think things have been difficult for you or made difficult because you're a believer? Yeah, I think they, you know, not that I don't, how to, I don't know how to say it, can handle it, but uh, it's not easy. It's, it's uh, how do I say, it's tough to be a Christian at times, to keep your faith with all the sin that's going on in the world, and you just, you got to be strong to keep your faith. And, and what helps you be strong? My daily devotionals, reading the Bible, and uh, my wife helps me a lot being strong. <laughs> She's a strong person. And uh, if I have any questions, I usually ask her, and she usually has the right answer. And do you feel that your personal petitions or your personal prayers, you feel like you're heard? Yes, absolutely, yeah. The Amish are, they're more like, uh, they don't know that, that you know that you know whether you're going to heaven or not. They, their thing is they hope. They have hope that they're going to heaven. And we tell them, or I tell people that you can know without a shadow of a doubt. You can know whether you know you know you're going to heaven. And how can you know? By accepting Jesus as your personal Savior. Yeah, you can know without a shadow of a doubt whether you go to heaven or not. And uh, I believe I'm going to heaven. I believe it too. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to In Good Faith. In the second half of the show, we'll hear from a Mennonite pastor about that faith tradition, and we'll hear a panel of listeners discuss the ideas presented by our guest, Walter Raber. Back in a moment with more of In Good Faith. This is In Good Faith, listening to first-person accounts and stories of faith and belief. In the first half of our show, we talked with Walter Raber, who is originally from Ohio and moved to Florida. I wanted to know a little bit more about the Mennonite tradition. So I'm speaking with someone, actually, who also grew up in Ohio, Minerva, Ohio. This is Pastor Luke Miller. Thank you for speaking with me today. It's good to be here. You have such a varied experience in your life, including uh, growing up in the States, working in orphanages in Romania, other really amazing experiences. I think we need to have you on as a a guest sometime, but I'd like to maybe just ask you a little bit about the Mennonite tradition, Mennonite faith. Mm -hmm. Is this the group you were born and raised in? Yes, I I would have been born and raised in a Mennonite home. It's been my own personal decision to stay with the Mennonites, and we can get more into some of that too with with talking about the tradition and what makes us tick, I guess. We're looking at a tradition, if I understand, that began in Europe and then people emigrated to the U.S. Yeah, that's right. So in Switzerland in the early 1500s, I guess for almost five centuries ago, uh, right over the time of the Reformation, you had the Protestants coming out of the Catholic Church. Um, So our forefathers were also a part of the Catholic Church. 
in that time, from my understanding, there it was the Bible was not read by the common people, and so what happened was there was a, a group of believers that started reading the Word of God. They started saying, "Wow, you mean Jesus said this?" So they started putting that into practice and just took it seriously. That was the beginning of the Mennonite tradition and the, what we call ourselves Anabaptists. That was a, again, that was a name given to us, kind of by people that were mocking us. They were saying. Anabaptist simply means rebaptizers. When the Anabaptists started, they actually said, we're not going to baptize infants anymore. We're going to actually baptize people upon their confession of faith. So if they choose to follow Christ, that's when we will baptize them. And so that's why we got the name Anabaptist. It just sort of stuck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Was it because of persecution that they left those areas in Europe? So yeah. So after they, the Anabaptists formed there was severe persecution, and a lot of it was due to the, the baptizing believers um, because infant baptism at that time was the accepted practice, and anything other than that was rejected. With that, and also we hold the Bible as our supreme authority, so it's unchanging. That is, That becomes our authority and what we work off of. So when God's Word teaches us to do something, that means that's just how it is. It doesn't really matter what the culture is around us. But if God's Word teaches us, then then we actually apply that. doesn't mean that we're out to disobey or to reject the culture around us unless it conflicts with what God teaches. Mm. Anabaptist was given to us early on, making fun, you know, a mockery. Mennonite was kind of a little bit the same where Menno Simons was a man who, who was very gifted, but he was simply just another one, a leader in one of the churches, and he did a lot of writing. And so – People from the outside looking in, they started calling those people that went to his fellowship menaced, huh. and out of that came the word Mennonite. So I guess we've kind of adapted. I would just as soon be called follower of Jesus or something like that because a lot of people want to say, well, who are you? Well, often they say we're a born-again Christian because that's really how we want to be known, but that really bothers people. Everybody wants to know, are you Mennonite? Are you Mormon? Are you Baptist? Are you this or yeah. that? Well. We're followers of Christ. That's who we really are. So people ask a lot of questions, and there's probably a lot of preconceived ideas of who we are and who we aren't or whatever. I'm not offended if somebody calls me an Amish. Now, obviously, the Amish and the Mennonites come from the same tradition, yeah. from the Anabaptists. So there's not a like animosity between the groups. Um, it's just that the Amish put a little bit more emphasis on their tradition and how they live. A lot of them don't have electricity or they have horse and buggy and they're very, very simple, whereas the Mennonites would have accepted a lot more as far as technology or houses and vehicles. Or We don't want those things to be a showy kind of thing. They're simply there to serve us and to serve other people. Hmm. Obviously, there's a difference between Amish and Mennonites. Now, their core, core beliefs and doctrine, doctrinally, would be a, very close the same, but practice would be a little bit different and there would also be a lot of Amish who would not necessarily be born again believers. That's they've a lot of Amish have taken their tradition as just become a traditional thing, a way to live versus a biblical way to live. Mm. So, for instance, if a visitor comes to your congregation, mm -hmm. what types of things would what services or classes or preaching or what would there be? Yeah, so we have lots of visitors that do come to our our little church here in Provo. We're very open and we welcome people. And a lot of people ask, "Well, how do I need to dress, or how do I need to do this, or do that?" We say, "Just, just come, and come be a part of us, and just see how we do things." Now, you notice that our women are dressed very modestly, and we we don't say that's the only way to dress. It's just one way that we practice the principle of modesty in Scripture. So. 
you're going to even see variations between Mennonite churches. Some are going to practice one way and others are going to practice another way. We're okay with that. But again, the principle is modesty, and we're very strong on brotherhood. So mm. so we work together as a brotherhood. We don't have like a headquarters that you know, calls the shots for yeah. all our different churches. Like in our little church here, um, normally we have like a plural ministry, so we'd have – you know, two, three pastors. I would be the lead pastor, or we call me bishop or whatever. My father-in-law was one of the pastors, but he retired, and now we have another one that's kind of filling in for him. So we work together more as a team. And again, as people wonder, well, how does that work? Well, yes, there can be differences between churches, and that's okay. But again, our foundation is God's Word, and so I mean, you really can't go wrong if you just stick with it. Yeah, if you're following that. Yeah, there's obviously different ways of understanding things and different applications, but it's that is our guide. (laughs) What do you hope that the people who are members of your congregation that they leave with after worship services to get them through the week? Yeah. What what do you hope they experience or or feel? Yeah. I guess as far as ministering to people, we, we want to minister to their needs and exactly what they're dealing with. Now, saying that, we're not here to sugarcoat things and try to just make people feel good all the time. Last week, I, I preached a message in, on purity and talked a lot about pornography and the, the effect that it has on people and how it actually rewires your brain and, and destroys relationships. Not a very pleasant message to sit under, okay? <laughs> but... At the same time, I love our people enough that I'm going to share truth with them, and they're going to have to come to a place where they make that decision, I'm going to follow Christ or I'm going to follow the ways of the world and, and the sins of the flesh. But one thing that's very interesting, I, I guess the glue that holds our churches together is simply the love of Christ. We have a lot of people that come who are just – they don't really know where they belong. And so they, they jump from this church to that church to that church. And, and you know, some of them will become a part of our church, some won't. But they, a lot of them keep coming back because they, they recognize there's something here, there's, some, there's a love factor that's going to love them regardless of who they are and where they've been. And I keep telling people, it doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter what you did in your past. What matters is where you're going from here. And so what we want people to leave from when they leave from church, we simply want people to be willing to repent of their, their sin, their past, and simply put their eyes on Jesus and, and have that love-faith relationship with Christ that will actually pull them through the week. It will actually give them purpose and hope. So, mm. A lot of people ask, you know, what makes us different? And we're not here to be different necessarily. We're simply here to be biblical. And Because I, for myself, growing up in a Mennonite home, yes, it was maybe easier to, to be a part of this culture and, and this body of believers than some others. I wouldn't have had to stay there. But for me, the ways of Christ really work. When you take the Bible and I was teaching uh, recently out of Matthew 5, 6, and 7, where Jesus is teaching. And it seems like what Jesus is teaching in that those three chapters are so Sermon opposite. on the Mount. Yeah, the Sermon on the Mount yeah. is so opposite from our human way of thinking. Like, Jesus isn't a very good economist, is he? <laughs> but, but what you find is when you actually apply principles or what Jesus is saying into your daily life, it actually works. You know, when, when somebody does you wrong, instead of taking him to court and suing him, I can actually pray for him, number one, and I can show love in return. And love just simply breaks down barriers like I don't think there's anything more powerful than love. Hate doesn't get us anywhere. So Mm. I guess that's where we take the teachings of Christ very seriously. And and it's not a matter of being better than anybody else. It's just simply sharing love to all men in all areas of life, whether, you know, when he says do not resist evil – 
to me, that means don't resist evil. If somebody's going to come do something wrong to you, don't resist him, but love him, pray for him. So, Pastor Luke Miller, thank you for speaking with me today. Oh, it's good to be here. Have you ever wished for a simpler life? Do you think it would be easier as well? Do you have spiritual and emotional connections to certain worship hymns or songs? Do you think God has a particular purpose for you and your life? Does it surprise you when people of other faiths turn out to value many of the same things you do? We invited a group of people to listen to our guest and then respond. Sandra Latham is a mother of four daughters and one son, ten granddaughters and one grandson. Strong women run in the family. Derek Hill is a student and a songwriter. He's studying English, hoping someday to finally put it to good use. Kalulatu is a classical musician and educator and a disciple of chocolate chip cookies. Bryce Walker is an empty nester who was so glad to get his life back when his teenagers left that he quit his city job and started teaching high school. When Walt was talking about the powerful experiences he had at church and his his earliest memories, he was he mentioned music. He mentioned the music in his Amish churches. He mentioned the music in the Mennonite churches, and he just kept mentioning the music. And this resonates with me, not just because I'm a musician, maybe because, but music is often the vehicle through which I feel powerful feelings about my faith. And so when he says that, I I completely understand. My family is from Tonga, and music is a huge part of the Polynesian culture. It's a huge part of the Tongan culture. And one of my favorite and earliest memories of church services is attending the Tongan branches. Now they have now they have larger congregations, but the singing, I remember the singing. And often the hymns, they weren't notated in Western notation. They so they just sang a cappella. And it's the most I can't explain it. It's the most powerful feeling. The sound just surrounds you. And I just remember feeling very strong, um, very strongly about my family and having very good feelings and that has continued as I've continued going to church, and it's helped me with my faith in Christ. So when Walt talks about that, I completely understand. After, well, once I grew up, my parents put me in music lessons, and I and I became familiar and introduced to the uh, classical music genre and the sacred music genres, and same thing. Just powerful, powerful experiences with very beautiful music from various places. I love it. I love the sacred music of Bach. I love the sacred music from the islands of Tonga. And I love the sacred music from members of my faith, the music that they write. And um, I just that, very, that really resonated with me because most of my most powerful experiences have come because of the music and services, church services. So Hmm. I really appreciated that when he was saying that. I just thought, I understand what you're saying. (laughs) I have much of the same feelings. I think it resonated with me too. And what you just said made me realize that sacred music is really a universal language, isn't it? Hmm. That's what I'm thinking too. And I've, I've heard various pieces of music too in various congregations and places in the world or whatever. And uh, music will touch your soul, and it kind of crosses over any culture or religious barrier if people are sincere, I think. I was struck uh, in the similar vein. I I think the stereotype that 
is often attached to the Amish and Mennonite faiths or people who are very, very solemn and somber and, and don't smile a lot and, and don't talk to people a lot. And uh, you start thinking of them just as kind of, I don't know, almost like monks who, who never really enjoy themselves necessarily or mm-hmm. as we see it, but are just kind of moving along in their faith. But I liked the image that he painted of being a child in this Amish community and them singing this song every morning. Presumably, I mean, I think it's hard to sing songs and sing especially uh, religious uh, faith-based songs and not be joyful and not have good and and, um, exciting feelings. You know, obviously Walt was an incredibly happy guy. I mean, he, Mm -hmm. he was talking often about just having happiness in life and, and doing all that he can to to rejoice in his faith. That kind of struck away that that image in my mind of, of this solemn and somber people and, and, you know, just struggling through their faith. Sort of persevering and pushing right. through. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, a, like it's a big burden to, to be Amish or Mennonite. Right. I think yeah. of the word pious, too. Right. right. I think of the Amish as pious. I really appreciated when he said, because uh, I've always wanted to know, he said that the reason they don't want their photos taken is because they relate that to pride. Right. And I'd never thought, I thought it was just kind of publicity related. But boy, Walt is a humble guy. And uh, you can see that from the time when he was Amish and he learned that and he learned getting up and working hard and uh, going to school, like he, he talked about working first then going to school. And I think the community he grew up in taught him humility and taught him good uh, work values and ethics. And then he still has this positive, happy attitude about it. He doesn't come across as particularly pious or dour at all. I always think of the the Amish people as simple people. Mm-hmm. And it's always a lesson. Sometimes I look at them, you know, a little enviously thinking, I would like a more simple life because it, right now it just seems like there's so many complications in our lives and there's so many demands on us and things. And so much of it is like self-imposed. And I, I would really love to make my life and my home more simple, more focused on God and, uh, you know, have, I think, more peace because of that. Right. I, I like that he said, too, that that simplicity isn't necessarily easy. And it probably made a lot of things easier and it, it made it so you didn't have to deal with certain things that a lot of us go through. But I, you know, think of a, a oft-quoted phrase by one of the leaders of my church that says something to the effect of a, a true and good religion needs to require sacrifice from its people. And if it's not requiring sacrifice, then it's not actually accomplishing what religion should accomplish. And so they are they are sacrificing a lot. As you said, it's self-imposed. And I think because of that, they're able to to feel that humility and that happiness that Walt really embodied uh, that was so striking to me. I loved how he talked about his family in such loving terms and in such real terms. He talks about how his wife was his force for good oh. and he talks about his son who is special needs and how when the son turned, what, 25, 26, they had to put him in a home. And and he talks about how that struggle of you know, of wanting to keep him around but realizing the burden that it is. And I really appreciated that because I feel like 
that's a struggle that is common to all people of all faiths who care about their families. They have situations like this that come up and and you love your family, you want to do what's best. And that really resonated with me, that he's sharing his experiences of how difficult it family life can be, but he's so optimistic, right? He just continues to be well, so optimistic about about is. everything. I mean, and, talked to, yeah, I just love that. My wife is uh, is a caregiver, I guess. She's taking care of her invalid mother. And I was thinking as he was talking about his son uh, not being able to do much of anything for himself, and that's what my wife is doing right now for her mother. She really can't do anything for herself anymore. She pretty much just sits in a recliner most of the day. And I can see that it's a burden, but I loved what Walt said when he realized, you know, he had this handicapped child and he said that he is a gift from God. And Mm -hmm. that is exactly what you're saying, Kahlo, is just how optimistic and how he, well, the old phrase would be, I guess, in some ways, you, you turn lemons to lemonade, but he sees God's love in everything. I was very impressed with that. And he said he had never even really thought of it as being something that he should think of as a burden or something that he should, oh, man, I have to keep going through this forever when you know, Stephen asked about that. That's a, a testament to his great faith of just, I mean, he is persevering, um, but he's doing so with joy and with happiness and, and recognizing that this son who is you know, providing a trial in his life is a blessing, is truly a blessing. I really appreciate that because I think I have to be careful. I live in an area where the majority of my community is of the same faith, and I don't interact very much with people of other faiths. And it was really great to listen to him say a lot of the exact things that I care about and the exact things mm-hmm. that Isn't I that think. True? And yeah. what Derek was saying, it, it's so true. I just is I can very easily fall into the trap of thinking that um, my faith holds the monopoly on all yeah. good thoughts and feelings. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, it's it's really it's good for me to to listen to the experiences of someone from a completely different place, different community, and different religion. But we all care about Christ. We care about what He thinks. I really appreciated Walt sharing these things because it's a. Mm-hmm. It's reminding me that we're all, yeah, we're all yeah. we we all care about Christ. I love when he shared that experience about his father-in-law not being happy with uh, him changing faiths from the uh, Amish to the Mennonites, and I love that line. He said it, you know, his father-in-law finally realized you can still love Jesus and right. uh, yeah. worship, and I just really appreciated that because he so much of his. I found so much com- commonality between mm-hmm. what he as a Mennonite feels and what I as as my faith feels about Jesus. It's just and I think great for me. I think truth basically has one source, and I think that when we worship the one source, God, that we get pieces of the truth. All of us get pieces of the truth, and. All of those pieces, almost like a jigsaw puzzle, will fit together perfectly into one whole one day, and we'll be able to see and understand so many things throughout the world that um, resonate with the truth, so many beliefs in other cultures and in other religions that they're all part of this one great whole that mm-hmm. is the truth that uh, comes from God. Right. 
If I may share just an example of that, because I kind of channeled this. Stephen Cat Perry was talking about how Walt was the bus driver. And in a similar way, I was with a performing group in Poland many years ago. And there was, uh, I guess I'll call her a lady. I'm not sure if I remember her name, but it was something like Mary. Maybe I will refer to her as Mary. And she was from Poland, and she was our tour guide. And we kind of got to know her as you do. You get to know a bus driver or a tour guide. And she was impressed with us. We were mostly of the same faith. And we were very impressed with her and her her conduct and her work ethic. And she was obviously of a different faith and a different culture. But we really grew to have a bond with her. And we realized, just as you had said there, Sandra, that we are very common. We believe in the same things. And we could tell how much she cared for uh, her husband and the child that she had. That was one of the things that was kind of a tearful thing is when we left, we'd been there for about two weeks and we'd hoped to stay in touch. And then it was about four or five years later, she actually came to the United States and we did have a reunion. This happened to be up in uh, Logan at Utah State University. And it was just really neat for all of us to realize that even you know with the different faiths and uh, different cultures, that we really could form a bond of friendship. So I kind of channeled that because I could see that Stephen Cat Perry and Walt had formed that bond as well. Another one of Walt's experiences that I um, that I appreciate is his uh, talking about how he feels closest to God when he's serving. And then he talked about serving with the youth and how that has made him more comfortable and bold about talking about Jesus. And um, my current assignment in my church is to work with the youth. And when he said that he was spending a lot of, that he he and his wife spent a lot of time and effort trying to keep the kids in the straight and narrow, yeah. I <laughs> totally got him. <laughs> I thought, I can, uh, I hear you. Yeah. <laughs> like, Walt, I hear you. And when he's saying things like he's trying to teach about uh, life isn't easy, but Jesus makes it easier and serve others because uh, your actions demonstrate your commitment to God. I thought, yeah, that's what I spend a lot of my time doing, too, <laughs> trying, to, trying to convince the youth that these are worthwhile practices. So it's made me bold. I feel like that's all I say a lot of the time. <laughs> <laughs> I think as far as service goes, one thing that I learned in my own life, I was um, working on television series and very involved with my work. And um, I remember that I prayed for actually years, Heavenly Father, please make me available when my mother needs me. And my mother became ill with cancer, but before she became ill with cancer, there were some circumstances where I left my job and uh, tried to um, do some other things, and they didn't seem to work out. And within a month, I found out that my mother had lung cancer and that she was terminal, and she was not going to have chemotherapy or radiation. And uh, she needed constant care from that time on. And I realized after kind of going through this bumpy period where I'm like, oh, you know, I'm not doing that job anymore and I'm not doing this, that the Lord was making me available to take care of my mother, which I did for a year. And in that experience, the one of the key lessons that I learned 
was that my personal self-esteem was much greater taking care of my mother than anything I'd done in my life. And even to this day, I would say that that year of caring for my mother was probably in many ways was the best year of my life. That's great. What about that motorcycle accident? <laughs> that, that was something else to hear about. <laughs> yeah, it reminded me of one night I was in the car with three other friends and we were driving down the highway and it was a five lane highway. My friend was driving and I switched him because he, he was talking to his mother on the phone about replacing the garage door opener for Did you switch while house. you were driving? No, no, we, we, we were more safe <laughs> okay. than that. We okay. pulled over to the side Good. of the road and switched. He said, so I will never forget. He's talking to his mother and he's telling his mom, yes, I got the cheapest bid. Yes, he came and uh, he came and changed it. Yes, mom, it all works. Don't worry, we didn't get gypped. And <laughs> I was driving, there's this semi that was trying to get over to the exit lane. And I remember listening to my friend Grant talk about this to his mom. And out of the side of my vision, I could see this big object drifting over. And and this is the moment I learned about blind spots for semis. <laughs> and now, now when I'm on the freeway and I'm driving next to a semi, I disregard all speed limits and I just yep. get past that semi as fast <laughs> as I can. But I remember seeing it come across and I remember Grant telling his mom, yes, I, I checked it. It goes up and down fine. And I thought that man doesn't see me or I just assumed it was a man driving that the driver could have been Walt it could have been Walt (laughs) (laughs) and I remember just having this knee-jerk reaction where I turned the wheel as hard as I could to the right which I have now learned is the wrong thing to do and it was on a Friday night I'll never forget this Friday night in December that highway is full on Friday nights in December everyone's trying to get to the main city I remember turning my wheel really hard to the right and the car spinning. Hmm. And we went, we did a 360 across all five lanes of the highway. And I remember thinking as we were spinning, I'm dying tonight. And the last (laughs) word I'm going to hear is Grant telling his mom that the garage door works. (laughs) And I remember when, I just remember praying, please don't let it hurt. Just take me fast. (laughs) And I remember we stopped and we were perpendicular to traffic. And I turned out my window and looked because I was sure we're going to get hit. I just was waiting for it. And the traffic was clear. There was no one around us. I mean, probably they saw me going and everyone cleared the way. (laughs) At the moment, I remember looking around and seeing no traffic and just thinking, God has angels on the highway right now. Because this is, we should have been hit. We should have been, we should die. We should have been dead. And I remember Grant saying, that's okay, Kahlo. Here. And he reaches over and pulls the wheel, writes the vehicle, and we go off. (laughs) And I just remember thinking, how can you be talking about the garage door opener and how you took the lowest bid when we just escaped death? And I remember when we pulled over, we, we finally, we arrived at our destination. We all just sat in the car and we looked at each other. And one of my friends in the back seat said, I think we should say a prayer. Hmm. He said, somebody in this car was not supposed to die tonight. <laughs> so so or, when Walt said that, right. I thought, yeah, I've been there. 
I've been in the accident where someone's not supposed to die tonight because we should have died on a Friday night on that highway. There was just anyway, I, I don't know which of us weren't wasn't supposed to die, but maybe all four of us. So when Walt said that, I totally. Yeah, Walt thought, would say, God isn't done with you yet. Carl. Yeah, not yeah. somebody. He wasn't done with somebody in and, that car. <laughs> and Walt said they were life lighted too, so they must have really had yeah. a serious accident. Serious accident. Yeah. I think one thing that he's also saying is that God has a purpose for us mm-hmm. and that we have a mission. Right. And so if we're not finished with our mission, perhaps we'll get another chance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I hadn't thought about that for a while. I I I'm glad that Walt shared that story. Remind me to remind me that uh, I still have a purpose. I should get about finding what that purpose is because I'm still alive. I should have been dead on that highway. Well, I think whenever we serve, we're fulfilling that purpose, and that's another thing that Walt talked about a lot. He loves to serve, and I think that's a good example to me. I I sometimes serve out of obligation. But I will tell you this, I never have regretted serving. I can't think of any time that I've served and have regretted it. So it does bring happiness and joy. But I'm going to have to work on that. I'm not finished yet either. As you were just saying, (laughs) Carlo, I need to work on loving to serve. This is an aside, but his story about meeting his uh, his girlfriend's father and and being in a car and his his Amish girlfriend's father telling him you'll you'll never drive off with my daughter in a car. I'm not married, but I've had plenty of experiences with uh, girlfriend's fathers that I, <laughs> I I cringe to think about that situation. But it sounds like he he played it off well. It's impressive. It was interesting when Walter was talking about um, separateness and being different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think that people of faith often feel like we are different and that we have to be kind of set apart from either from others. And yet, uh, most people of faith that uh, believe in God also understand that we're all children of God, and so we're kind of all the same. But there's kind of that little dichotomy there of, you know, being separate from the world and yet still embracing others. Yeah. Right. And it can be uncomfortable. Well, I, I've been having this conversation with some of the youth that I teach, and they've asked me questions like, well, we're told to think about Jesus all the time. How do I think about Jesus all the time? <laughs> I can't be and thinking my... about Jesus while I choose my cereal in the right? morning. Well, so. and one of them said, yeah, how am I supposed to think about Jesus at school? Like, mm-hmm. how, how am I supposed to do that? I feel like all my church leaders are saying, think about Jesus. And I'm trying to figure out how do I do this when I'm at school? And I'm, and I'm thinking, yeah, I, I see I see what you're saying. It's and it's this whole concept of how to be different from the world but live in the world. And um, my take on it is we're different from the world in the way we approach the problems. But you must be in the world to grow, and it's necessary that we interact with each other. It's part of life. But it's been interesting to try and convince the youth that they need to give uh, the teachings of Jesus like Walt was talking about that he he maintains his faith by reading his Bible and his daily mm-hmm. devotionals and counseling with his wife. And that's in large part what we want to have happen with our youth in my congregation. We want them to to engage in daily activities, reading scriptures and counseling with family. And I feel like 
it's it's a daunting task to convince youth to take a chance on on something that may or may not bring immediate results. And when it doesn't bring immediate results, I feel like saying, that's okay, that's life, but they all want it right now because there's so many sources that will give you some sort of immediate result. And yeah. uh, I feel like in, in religion with and involving Christ and his teachings, it's, uh, it's hard to uh, teach patience and trusting the system, right? So to speak, trust the process. <laughs> yeah. I, I thought it was so profound what he said that uh, it, it's difficult to kind of live the Amish way and, and to, to live that very simple lifestyle that is such a large part of their faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then he said, but it's a lot easier when you're doing it in a community with other people who are, who are living that same way. Um, and I think that's uh, such a large part of of organized religion. A lot of people kind of say, "Oh, well, I, I can have my own personal faith, and I don't really have to be a part of of an organization that um, shares my faith with me." But I, I think that was that's a really cool way to think about it. That that you know, for the Amish, who I think most people who aren't Amish look on their lifestyle and say, "Wow, that's you know, how do they do that? That's admirable, but it's difficult." And you know, the the easiest way to do it is just to be with other people who are doing it. So I think that'll help me, you know, get, go to church on Sunday this week and, and think about, you know, when I'm worried about how early it is and I have to get up at 7.30 or, or whenever it is to go to church. And, and then I remember, oh, this is this is because I need the the support and the, the mutual help here because it'll make, make it easier for me to live my faith. I think that was really profound. I related a little bit to uh, what you just said and what Walt said about um, having a community and making it easier. When I grew up, I grew up in a town that was probably about 2,000 people, and we were mostly, again, of the same faith. And it really wasn't until I got to uh, the university level that I met a lot of people that thought different than I did and differently. And I even had a professor. He was uh, a fine arts professor. wasn't a religious professor, but I remember him saying that Religion should not build walls. It should tear down walls. Hmm. And I thought that was profound. Um, I have felt that in a lot of my life, I have learned a lot. For example, from Walt, uh, I have a good friend who is a Jew. And these culture shocks at first, you know, to know what he does and maybe to experience life through someone else's eyes, maybe, maybe at first it's a little bit of a shock. But eventually, I come to gain a lot of insight, maybe about the culture or about God or another way of thinking about things that really does enlighten me and uh, educate me. That's our time for today. Thanks to our panelists, Sandra, Derek, Kahlo, and Bryce, to Mennonite Pastor Luke Miller, and especially to Walter Raber for generously sharing his stories and his faith. In Good Faith is committed to the idea that we all benefit from hearing people of widely varying backgrounds tell about their personal experience with faith and belief. In fact, we think people with such experience deserve some of our best listening. We hope you found value in today's conversation. We welcome your thoughts and ideas about the program. Email us at ingoodfaith@byu.edu. Find us online at byuradio.org slash ingoodfaith, where you find all of our past shows archived. Subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. All music used by permission. In Good Faith is a production of BYU Radio. Our associate producers are Christine Knockleby and Marcus Smith. I'm your host and producer, Stephen Cap Perry. I hope you'll join us again soon, right here, In Good Faith.